0: Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. So I'm going to do this kind of a simple live stream. I don't have any particular topic that I want to talk about uh, other than, you know, optimizing your body and... uh, biohacking and intermittent fasting and general longevity and health. So this is going to be the topic of this kind of live stream. But I also want to uh, announce that I also recently published the metabolic autophagy video course or a masterclass, and it's going to include a bunch of walkthrough videos about this entire topic of uh, how do you do intermittent fasting the right way uh, for specifically like longevity as well as performance. And the main idea is that you don't, you know, restrict yourself from anything to a certain, to like a extreme, you're going to optimize your nutrition and diet from the perspective of, uh, you know, what's what's the optimal time and time length for intermittent fasting, if your goal is fat loss, if your goal is muscle growth, if your goal is longevity, and as well as what kind of foods should you eat, like what foods boost autophagy, what kind of foods boost mTOR, what kind of foods uh stimulate the other pathways of longevity and when do you consume them in what amounts and as well as how do you work out what's the kind of best ways of resistance training and and such and yeah this kind of general is it's more it's more of like a it's a combination of both the practical information and theoretical knowledge as well so you're gonna essentially understand how do you actually uh, optimize your entire physiology For the rest of your life essentially like it's more valuable than a college degree definitely like i like to say that you know the information about knowing what kind of a lever am i pulling with my metabolism and physiology it's like the one of the most important kind of skills or knowledge you ever have in your life and it trumps everything because your health is literally the most valuable thing in your in your whole entire life. And uh, with the metabolic autophagy masterclass, then I do feel that you will master everything related to intermittent fasting and everything related to you know nutrient density, optimal nutrition. What what kind of ratios should you consume and when do you do it specifically? Because all of those things matter, and you're gonna understand the larger context of everything. That's uh, related to it. So um, as the as the launch sale carries on, you can get the twenty percent discount code as well, uh, which is seam twenty, and that's gonna last until the end of March. So um, you have less than a week uh, until you can have can, can have the course twenty for twenty percent dis- discount. And the link is in the uh, description. So yeah, check it out, and I'm quite proud of it, and it's pretty pretty damn awesome. But yeah, in the meanwhile, let's pop in some questions as well and get this live stream going. Uh, foods to increase performance before my MMA debut fight. Well, that depends on like what, what, what kind of a diet have you following before the fight, so to say. That if you're already eating, let's say, a uh, non-keto diet and you're somewhat metabolically flexible with the carbs, then in that case... Uh, you may want to have like a carb load the night before, before the MMA fight to kind of fill up your glycogen. And then this going to show like a significant kind of explosiveness during the fight. And uh, during the actual kind of fight itself, then you may also use the targeted keto diet way of going about it that you consume like a small amount of some easily digestible uh, carbs like glucose powder or some bananas and with some protein, That will be. uh, You you can use the targeted keto diet even if you're, you know, not doing the keto diet. Uh, In the case of being on a keto diet before the fight, then in that case, you could have like a carb load as well. But the potential is that if you haven't done a carb load in a long time before that, then you may bonk and you may feel like more tired just because of not having the metabolic flexibility. But if you have done these carb loads before then uh, you could carb load and then still take like a a target keto shake before that but it's yeah essentially how how kind of sensitive to you are are you you are to the carbs but i hope that answers your question talk about reducing cortisol well uh, with cortisol then kind of you have to reduce the stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system so everything that is stimulating your sympathetic nervous system is also going to increase cortisol and you want to reduce it, you want to, you know, do the opposite and uh, promote the parasympathetic dominant state. And the kind of the best ways for me usually or the kind of immediate things you could do right away would be to simply go for a walk in nature and kind of plug off completely because uh, there are a lot of studies that even like 15 minutes in nature, like in the forest or something, it uh, reduces anxiety, uh, lowers stress, uh, increases your mindfulness. And yeah, it's generally a, an amazing way of kind of resetting yourself. And usually when I feel overwhelmed or something, then I'm simply going for a walk like I'll, <laughs> I'll forget about everything else. Um, then definitely you would want to pay attention to your all of the potential things that increase your cortisol. Like uh, caffeine is probably one of those things that most people suffer from. Then there's, uh, you know, some other kind of noise in your environment, like toxic people <laughs> and uh, poor relationships. Those things can also be a, like a huge uh, source of uh, stress and cortisol. So you have to kind of be aware of it. And of course, if your sleep quality sucks, then uh, it's by default going to raise your cortisol all the time. So making sure you get a good night's sleep. Uh, then, you know, uh, these other adaptogenic herbs and, uh, you know, herbs and medicinal mushrooms, those can be co- cool for um, not only lowering the stress, but also promoting stress adaptation through like hormesis and, and, and so on. So uh, chaga powder, ashwagandha is amazing. Then turmeric and uh, reishi, those are the, probably my go-to uh, adaptogenic compounds. Okay, let's take another one opinions on exercise during an extended fast i find if i train at the same intensity and don't refeed after i'm more tired hours later uh well yeah like if you are uh, exercising and fasting after the exercise then you will experience some drop in energy eventually because you don't refeed so uh on those extended fasts i don't really I don't feel like an obligation or a responsibility to, you know, hit the uh, workout really hard. Like I may do some calisthenics and some, uh, some easy cardio, but I'm not going to do like a hit type of training, or I'm not going to, you know, try to hit the personal record with the squat. <laughs> it's not going to be, you know, it's not needed. I think even just a small amount of stimulation by, you know, taking a swim or doing some calisthenics and yoga and those things, they already you know, sends the appropriate signal to your muscles that, okay, we still need the muscles and we're not going to catabolize them. Uh, Dry fasting right now, hour 19 so far. Why does eating a carnivore diet make it easier for a dry fast? Well, uh, I think part of the reason may be that a carnivore diet essentially does promote fat adaptation the same way as a, like a keto diet does and uh th- there's also the thing that you may you know in the in my last video where I talked about uh, the, the d- difference between dry fasting and water fasting is that um you know uh, eating these low carb keto foods especially specifically like animal fats and animal uh, proteins they do have like a deuterium depleting effect on the body so uh, deuterium is the heavy hydrogen atom or he- heavy water that um or isotope of hydrogen and it's heavy so um if you're if you're deuterium laden if your deuterium levels are too high then you will feel somewhat tired and uh, lethargic and uh, kind of the foods that raise deuterium in your in your body are like grains specifically and uh, a lot of fruit and so on so a carnivore diet may essentially simply help you to become more water adapted because you're eating Like uh, zero carb, and uh, you're getting a lot of the metabolic water from those animal animal fats as well. Uh, Does dehydration effect caused by sauna increase autophagy effects? Uh, I'm not sure if the dehydration effect of sauna promotes autophagy, but the sauna itself, just because of the heat shock proteins, will increase autophagy. So uh, maybe the dehydration may support it a little bit, but um, I'm not, I'm, I don't think the, most of the autophagy boost from, from the sauna isn't because of the dehydration. It's because of the kind uh, of, the kinda, it's, it mimics the aspect of cardio, almost like your heart is racing and uh, you do stimulate the heat shock protein. So that's, that's one of the reasons I think sauna promotes autophagy, but the dehydration may play a part of that so doing it like a <laughs> doing a sauna while dry fasting may be like a huge autophagy boost but at the same time it's it's somewhat more dangerous as well because you may pass out because of the heat and you know the de- dehydration so I don't recommend doing that and yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't do it um, what can you tell us about goitrogens Well, goitrogens are these uh, compounds that inhibit iodine absorption and they can negatively affect thyroid health if you overconsume them. So those goitrogens can be found in uh, vegetables primarily like cruciferous and broccoli and spinach and kale. But uh, there's also the thing that if you cook those vegetables, then you will basically destroy those goitrogens. Um, at the same time, there are some kind of, some people will, uh, if you have like some thyroid issues or low thyroid, then eating a bunch of raw kale is definitely not the best idea because it's going to kind of really damage the th- thyroid or, you know, inhibit with iodine absorption. And and usually with people with low thyroid, they suffer from that because of their deficient in iodine. So um, kind of eliminating those goitrogenic foods for a short period of time can help the thyroid to heal but for like average healthy people i don't really worry about it so to say that um, it's not going to be like a huge difference uh, from those goitrogens because yeah for for those goitrogens and those cruciferous to damage your dry- thyroid permanently or to really lower your, your lower your thyroid functioning then you would have to consume like yeah a bucket a bucket full of broccoli or something and adding like a few vegetables into your meal isn't probably going to do anything else and, you know, I would say that the, you know, in general, like, of course, having a high metabolic rate and high high thyroid function is going to be beneficial for fat loss. It's not like the most optimal thing for longevity, so to say, that a fast metabolism isn't going to help you to live longer, if that makes sense. Like, you know, those animals, those species, those organisms that live the longest, their metabol- metabolic rate is somewhat limited they don't have like super fast metabolisms and uh, therefore their their thyroid functioning isn't you know super rapid either that's that's something to kind of keep in mind just you know there may be like a small small trade-off in uh, the thyroid functioning but i would say that if it's not gonna interfere with your fat loss then it's worth it (laughs) but if you're trying to lose weight and you're struggling then eliminating them for a short period of time can be a good idea what are your thoughts on taking chlorophyll and spirulina is it worth it to help with fighting inflammation do you think that they can cause weight gain uh well these algae and spirulina and chlorella and those things uh, we, we we recently did a podcast with uh james D. nickel antoni as well and he mentioned that it's one of his kind of go-to supplements that he takes and he has done like a large reviews and meta-analysis about about its benefits so I do think it's uh, like a really healthy thing it's a good source of plant-based all like um, omega-3s and uh, as well as um, you know we mentioned iodine it's, it, it will also promote iodine and uh, it's it does also help with like binding toxins in your body and helping to eliminate them so I do think it's you know there's probably no uh, no real reason to be not taking it. In a sense, there's not going to be any negative side effects, and uh, most of the, you know, as long as the source of the supplement is like a clean source, because there may be some toxicity effect if you have like some form of uh you know, toxic algae or something that is laden with other heavy metals and such. But in general, a quality algae source as a supplement is a pretty good thing, and especially like helping with uh, eliminating uh, toxins. Uh, do vegetable carbs matter in the keto diet if you're trying to stay below 50 grams per day? Uh, well, depends on what your goal. So to say that I wouldn't say that staying within a certain uh, carb limit is necessary, and it's not necessary to you know stay within the keto. It's not necessary to stay in the therapeutic range of ketosis either. So uh, ketosis isn't gonna make you burn more fat, and it's not gonna make you healthier either. So being in ketosis simply makes it easier for you to kind of fast and also sustain energy levels throughout the entire day. But uh, the vegetables, do they matter? Uh, well, they do matter in terms of that all calories matter to a certain extent and all carbs matter depending on the context. But uh, I wouldn't worry about kind of kicking yourself out of ketosis with vegetables because for, for you to do that, you have to be consumed like quite a lot of uh, vegetables. But if you're kind of hitting a plateau or something, then you may want to kind of at least measure and see how many vegetables are you actually consuming. Should I eliminate gluten, sugar and dairy completely from my life? Uh, Well, I think that there is no inherent benefit to gluten. Uh, or sugar or dairy, like those things that aren't not essential and your body does function very well without, so you definitely don't need them. And uh, I would say that 90% of the time you do want to, you know, avoid them at all costs because yeah, they may cause some potential negative side effects like some autoimmune issues and uh, some bloating or some yeah allergic reactions. So yeah, I'm not, I don't deliberately keep any gluten in my, or dairy in my diet. And specifically sugar as well. So um, you know that that's because there's there's no reason to be having them. Uh, at the same time, I am still mindful of that. I don't want to uh, develop intolerance to gluten because of avoiding it for like years and years. So uh, you know that's why I may have like some gluten every I don't know you know a few times a year or something. Like uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not afraid of having some cake at Christmas or at a birthday or something because it's so infrequent and it does maintain this metabolic flexibility in the sense that you, if you have them every once in a while, like 90% of the time you still want to avoid it, but you know, every once in a while it's it's fine as long as it doesn't become like a habit and you don't justify it away. It's, it's the idea of this uh, anti-fragility that you won't suffer if you get exposed to gluten just because you avoid it. And your body is still able to like uh, digest it properly. Uh, as an athlete yourself, I'm curious about carb cycling around intense, extended cardiovascular exercise. With uh, with in the with cardiovascular exercise like endurance, then I don't see like a huge reason to be doing carb cycling because uh endurance sports is primarily like uh you when you are doing some form of endurance then you're burning primarily fat for fuel already so the keto diet is perfect for that i, w- I would say especially like ultra endurance and so, so and these kinds of things and the only time you may need some glycogen and glucose is when you when you uh, tap into the glycolytic zone and uh, usually that that shift occurs uh, somewhere around 65 to 70 percent of your vo2 max so basically if you if you if you need to breathe through your mouth and you can't maintain nasal breathing anymore then then you're burning uh, glucose and glycogen for fuel but if you're still able to burn uh or if you're still able to breathe through your mouth or your nose and you're kind of able to almost talk then that's like the fat burning zone and you're burning fat acids and keto is perfect for that Uh, Yeah, I would I would only use carb cycling if I'm doing like a bunch of hit cardio uh, or some resistance training and bodybuilding and so on. Even like powerlifting doesn't need carbs. You can safely do powerlifting with keto because the rest times are somewhat longer and your body will be able to resynthesize its uh, uh, its creatine stores in between sets. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe doing like some carb briefies every once a week or every other week that's like kind of the staple that i would recommend to have just to kind of promote the metabolic flexibility um uh, do cold liver oil tablets break a fast well they do have like fat in it but um, you know the amount is also like maybe five calories or so, so it's not significant at all. You know the 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 kind of there's no reason to take it either because you will be better off by taking the supplement with your food because you're gonna absorb it better, and uh, you will also yeah follow it up with other nutrients. So there's not you're, you're there's not going to be any reason to be having it during the fastest date. And uh, yeah, it's not going to break a fast inherently, but yeah, it's not worth it, so to say. Hey Seem, as a two-time cancer patient, your channel has helped me significantly. A big uh, big shout out from New Jersey. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to help. Like, although I'm definitely not a doctor or... Something, but yeah, it's good to hear that you know that, that this kind of lifestyle that incorporates, you know, fasting and uh, eating eating uh, controlled amount of carbs, it's it works, and there's a lot of people who are seeing it. Um, dry fasting 24 hours every day is a good idea. Omad and WoWAD. <laughs> what is that? WoWAD? Uh okay, not sure what that means. Ways to increase nutrient absorption by little William Shakespeare. Well, um, definitely the best ways to promote nutrient absorption is to have the required digestive enzymes for that food. So uh, you most people's digestive enzymes are really out of whack and they have like poor digestive health so uh, some things to kind of look at are do you have like low stomach acid do you suffer from do you suffer from some bloating and constipation after your meals that's a sign and to kind of fix that is to make sure you stay hydrated and secondly also to have you know uh, things that promote stomach acid and hydrochloric acid in the gut before you eat like the best for that maybe like uh, some apple cider vinegar Um, but also uh, these um, even even like ginger root like what I like to do is uh, take some apple cider vinegar but also uh, chew on some like ginger root because the ginger root helps with uh, breaking down proteins especially and it does stimulate the digestive enzymes uh, if you are really wanting to like a quick fix then you can also get like some of like re- supplemental digestive enzymes those are really powerful like I've tried them and uh, you do f- feel notice that okay, this is actually you know almost like a shot of vinegar <laughs> straight up, and it does uh, promote like good digestion. They they the, um recently I had a podcast as well with uh, Wade Lightheart, and uh, he's from uh, Bio Optimizers, and his his mass signs digestive enzymes are pretty good. But uh, next to that, like natural sources again, apple cider vinegar, and also like if you are making salad or vegetables or something or eating meat, then i like to like, pour some of that vinegar on top of that as well, so you're, like, eating it and you're getting the vinegar at the same time, so you don't have to take it before that, either. Like, you prefer the, uh, both at the same time. And uh, ginger is good. Then uh, these bitter herbs and uh, greens, that also promote uh, stomach acid. So, uh, yeah, these, uh, eat, like, arugula then uh, some red cabbage and such; those can also help. And of course, nutrient absorption. Then after the meal, you you would also maybe go for a short walk because that does help with uh, digesting the food. So you, the worst thing would be to do eat eat a bunch of food and then go to sleep right away, or uh, eat a bunch of food and then lay on the couch because uh, you know even the mere fact of standing up. That helps to, you know, move the food through your digestive system. And walking stimulates, stimulates, you know, the process and helps with digestion. It's also lowering insulin, so you would always want to walk after your meals. And you can absorb the food better. You're gonna lower your blood sugar faster. And even like ten minutes is a uh, ten minutes is all, is good enough. Uh, what do you think about Gillian Michaels bashing the keto diet? Well, she didn't really give a valid reason to bash it, or she didn't even... I, I think she, she she doesn't understand how the diet works, and she doesn't really get it. Uh, thoughts on taking nootropics while intermittent fasting? Well, they're somewhat unnecessary. So, uh, you know, the fasting is the best nootropic, I feel. And you know, if if not fasting, then doing some form of short burst of hit hit cardio that's also gonna really ramp up that cortisol and adrenaline and really f- sharpen your focus. So, um, you know, rebounding, you know, running up and down the stairs, doing some burpees, jumping jacks, whatever it is, that's like the my go to nootropic if I feel that I need one. <laughs> but usually, my my fasting window is already somewhat you know, good for the brain, in my experience. Uh, Does dry fasting heal loose skin? If it does, how often should we dry fast? Well, there are no real studies on this, and specifically, like, dry fasting, not to mention autophagy and loose skin, so mm, you just have to kind of... You would have to... uh, you know, base it on your own experience, so to say. Some people say that it works. Some people say that it doesn't. Uh, but one 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 thing for sure is that fasting and autophagy they do help with the skin health. So uh, if even if it doesn't tighten up the skin and eat up the loose skin, then it at least will keep your skin more elastic and uh, promotes the health of the fibroblasts that is uh, that that are responsible for like collagen synthesis. So it's, it's it's it will help to keep the skin healthier and that's like an indirect way of maybe tightening up the loose skin uh but the second part of how how often should you dry fast then yeah it depends again on on your overall weekly fasting schedule so to say so if you're if you're not doing like any form of extended fasting then you may want to do it more frequently but if you're already eating omad you're already, you know, having a 48-hour fast every once in a while. Then it's not necessary to have it that often either. But yeah, I, I myself still practice some form of daily time-restricted dry fasting, as I like to call it. That I, at the minimum, I dry fast for like 16 hours or 12 to 16 hours, somewhere between that, you know, depending on a day. But I'm not, I'm not going for like a specific amount and just like gauging my how I feel. I'm doing a keto low plant diet. I do resistance training at 7 in the morning in a fast state and start eating OMAD around 5 hours later. Is it okay for building muscle? Uh it should be fine as long as you get enough uh, like protein during that eating window and uh you don't experience like a bunch of other catabolic stresses later in the day. So uh 5 hours is somewhat uh, like a long time to wait after a workout, but it can work as long as you don't do like a bunch of crazy hit cardio and you don't uh, squeeze out the living juice from those muscles. So like regular resistance training and strength based training, uh, is, is, should be fine. But me, me personally, I would, I would always uh, try to get some food after the workout, maybe like two to three hours at maximum. That's from my personal experience, at least the, the how I feel. Any way to force redistribution of body fat from certain locations, e.g., move lipids from subcutaneous to intermuscular fat? uh, Well, yeah, like spot reduction is not really possible, uh, only like very small amounts, so to say. That if you uh, train a bunch of arms, then your arms will not they won't have like less body fat but they will look more vascular and they will look more leaner than they actually are because of the blood vessels and such so the same can be applied to your abs so um, if you are training more your core muscles then those core muscles will be more defined and they may pop out more especially if you're having like lower levels of body fat already this doesn't apply to people who have like significant amounts of body fat, and they have like love handles and so on. In that case, they can't really spot reduce, spot reduce, like this. So um, because they're covered in uh, more body fat. But leaner people, they can emphasize their abs or emphasize certain uh, parts of their body by you know promoting vascularity and uh, muscle definition in those regions. So for the abs, you necessarily don't want to do like a bunch of you know uh, high repetition ab work like a bunch of crunches or something you would primarily want to do like heavier heavier ab work and core work like hanging leg raises uh the ab wheel and uh the i don't know what they're called preacher so yeah you know the ab crunches with weights and such those would be like more good for bringing out like this dense density in the core your opinion, cream of tartar for potassium during fast with Himalayan salt to recommend ideas and those. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't, you know, seen like reason to be taking cream of tartar, but uh, if it's your only source of potassium, then it's gonna be better than nothing, <laughs> so to say. Uh, preferably, you would maybe want to get, if you're trying to get more potassium during the fast, then getting potassium from either the new salt uh, or some other equivalent or potassium chloride, that would be better. But yeah, I'm n- not sure how many calories the, in the cream of tartar there is, if if any. But uh, if, if it's uh, your only source of potassium during a long water fast, then they should be fine. What can you take on a dry fast? Well, there's air, oxygen, <laughs> but uh, nothing else, essentially. So if it's a, like a hard dry fast, then you would also want to avoid all contact with um, water on your skin even. So you would basically dry off <laughs> and do it, and being exposed to nothing. But on a soft dry fast, you can still, I don't know, rinse your mouth. With water, or um, you know, wash yourself. But it depends on yeah, what what kind of a dry fast they're doing. If eating OMAD could nutrient absorption ever become an issue, I've learned that certain vitamins compete with each other and should be separated. Or could your body adapt? Uh, well, yeah, it's it is definitely true that you could potentially become deficient of certain mi- of nutrients if you aren't going to absorb them during the omad meal the fasting itself won't make you deficient but you will only become deficient if you interfere with the absorption of certain certain nutrients so definitely making sure that you don't have like uh you know things that uh comp- you know uh, you know gluten or these grains uh phytates these uh, anti-nutrients that simply bind to your Minerals and such; those could be an issue on OMAD because you're like a very small eating window. So I wouldn't eat like a bunch of beans and uh, grains and uh, and spinach and those things all together on OMAD. But in terms of like macronutrients, then just pure fact, pure protein or pure carbs or pure fat, then it wouldn't be an issue in terms of absorption. Your body will absorb all of those or like let's say almost all of those nutrients but it will do it in a like a slower manner um what are your thoughts on carb cycling while on a non-keto omad diet, diet? for example is it good to alternate high and low carb days Yes, if you are even if you are not doing keto, then I would still suggest that um, people would want to practice some form of carb cycling and some form of carb restriction just for the health benefits. So, like if it's your rest day and you haven't worked out, then I don't see like a huge reason to be eating a bunch of carbs. (laughs) So, yeah, you can always, you know, the kind of go to thing would be that on higher. High intensity workout days or resistance training days, then you can have like more carbs. But on rest days, there's no reason to be having carbs. And you were better off by suppressing your insulin and, and keeping carbs lower. Uh, burp, burp. Ribose during fasting. you mean d-ribose well d-ribose essentially isn't going to spike insulin and it's not necessarily going to you know it doesn't have like specific amount of calories although it does have some carbs so it's like a low glycemic carb Uh, but i wouldn't take it in a fast state because it probably breaks the fast uh, but you may take it during a fasted workout, <laughs> if uh, if if that makes sense. So that that small amount of ribose, probably you you will the supplements they do have, they're like five grams at max, and five grams of ribose during a workout in a fasted state should be simply you know burnt off or, burnt off as energy, and your body wouldn't like notice it <laughs> even that it, that you take it. Uh, did it uh um uh, what fasting regime would you recommend both if and extended fasting if you're normal weight eating healthy but want and health benefits uh i would say you know the minimal fasting window for even everyone should be the 16 and 8 like there's no reason to be eating any more frequently and uh that's gonna be like your minimal effective dose for even getting the bare essentials of fasting and autophagy but for if you want to really get some more benefits from it and actually actually tip into autophagy and actually gain the benefits of fasting that everyone's talking about then you definitely i would want to fast longer than 16 hours uh well there's definitely like the caveat that you don't need to fast every day if you have more of the extended fasts more frequently so to say if you're having a three-day fast once a week then it doesn't matter that you're gonna eat like a regular person for the rest of the four re- four days, so because you're getting into a, like a really significant uh, zone of autophagy and fasting with the three day fast. But um, I, I don't, you know, it, it depends again like your overall fasting schedule and fasting routine. On a like a daily basis, I would say that OMAD is a probably a pretty good thing for at least you know the if you're planning on eating every day, then OMAD would be a good thing uh but um yeah again if you're still with omad you still want to have like longer fasts you may you may need to have the extended fasts less frequently so to say because you're doing omad already but if you are fasting less your fasting window is shorter like with the 16 and 8 then you may want to have like the extended fasts more often as well But it depends again on um, your overall health, and it depends on what diet you follow. If your diet is already clean, somewhat low carb, and um, it doesn't have like a bunch of extra protein and a bunch of these junk foods, then you don't need to fast that often. So it's really context dependent. But yeah, generally, I would say that uh, minimum minimum. I would if I if I weren't to weren't to do any fasting, then I would want to still eat like 16 and 8, that would be like the minimum for normal people, let's say, who aren't really willing to fast longer. <laughs> but ideally, OMAD is a pretty good thing. Or even like the warrior diet, it doesn't have to be like a really tight OMAD. Like warrior diet is still leveled up from 16 and 8. And me personally, I would get maybe like an extended fast uh, at least like once every three months or so and uh, a 48 hour fast maybe once a month mm-hmm. but a 48 hour fast once a week is also a good thing it depends again like what your goals what's your particular situation and uh what are you trying to do at that moment uh Have you talked about cold therapy? Does it have any effect on autophagy or other aspect of our health? Uh, the cold does promote uh, autophagy, not directly but indirectly, uh, such as like raises AMPK and uh, suppresses or lowers insulin, or suppresses mTOR as well. So it can be useful for that. And generally, like the other health benefits, are definitely really worth it, like lowers inflammation a whole lot, like I would imagine uh, even like two minutes in an eye bath is gonna really suppress the inflammation that you may have and reset it, and it also does promote like the br- activation of brown fat, so you will become more fat adapted, <laughs> you will become more of a fat burning machine, because the brown fat is more metabolically active. Okay, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Um, I'm going to pick a last question, but before I do that, I'll also mention that the Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass is uh, is is live and you can join it. The, there's, the link is in the description and the 20% discount will last until the end of March. So yeah, it's a really comprehensive course about everything related to optimal nutrition, uh, meal timing, the context of the situation, the autophagy process, how do you actually use intermittent fasting for muscle growth, and how do you, you know, leverage everything uh, in regards to longevity and performance? So it's a really in-depth course, and it has like lectures, it has PowerPoint slides, it has uh, free eBooks, a cookbook, the metabolic autophagy cookbook is also there. Like, it has like seventy recipes for autophagy foods, mTOR foods, uh, carb food, carb recycling foods, and uh, general breakfast foods, and uh, and so on. So it's really in-depth and walkthrough videos as well and meal examples so check it out the link is in the description uh, okay we're gonna take the last question from a super chat from vicky do you need to build up your muscles before using the x3 system i'm active but not very muscular or female on keto diet for one month it's arriving tomorrow i ordered it on your recommendation uh well the x3 bar is actually more beneficial for people who don't have like a bunch of resistance training exercise like a novice trainer uh, or beginner b- b- beginner trainees or novice trainees even they will definitely see a bigger response from using the x3 bar like even even myself i consider myself like you know somewhat of an intermediate or near advanced trainee then i would say that uh, even then even so i i do notice like a somewhat of a boost in at least like muscles uh, or muscle growth and it's, it's 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 like any form of other resistance uh, but the th- difference is that uh, it's it's a variable resistance so you're going to be able to stimulate maximum intensity at all ranges of the motion so you're not limited by your weakest range of motion you can hit your fullest range of motion like, with are like arms extended for the maximum intensity that you, that you can handle as well as the shortest range of motion where you're the weakest so you're training it in uh, full effect so that's that's what have been found to be the most biggest benefit and it's, it's it does like feel pretty pretty good and yeah uh, like as a beginner or even as a novice it's going to be pretty uh, useful. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.